Many young people have dropped out of modern society because they feel it is too impersonal. They have searched for alternate ways to find a personal relationship with their fellow men and the universe around them. Lately, many of them have sought to find the way through religion. Of all the things that have caught on among the young, this is perhaps the most unexpected. A prayer service and baptism by immersion on the Pacific at Santa Monica Beach. In recent years, the more experimental of America's young have gone through oriental religions and mysticism, long hair and offbeat clothing, drugs and sex. Now, in surprisingly large numbers, they're turning to Jesus. It was a revival that started without any leaders. It can't be traced to a man or to a person. It started on the west coast of the United States around 1967. All of a sudden, these hippies, these dropouts, these uh, many thought the scum of society, were discovering Jesus Christ. We're not asking you to believe us. We're not asking you to believe God's word. All we're asking you to do is, in the honesty of your own heart, check it out. Out of this Jesus movement, there became a, a new and exciting form of Christian music. You're hearing this buzz about a Jesus movement and a guy called Larry Norman. Sipping whiskey from a paper cup You drown your sorrows till you can't stand up Take a look at what you've done to yourself Why don't you, you put the bottle back on the shelf His lyrics were powerful they changed people's lives, and they talked about real things, and they hit you street level. Hello, welcome to the show. I hope I can record this without incident today. Um, the last show, um, I didn't realize that the um, sound of my dog drinking his water... <laughs> <laughs> was so loud until I was checking the show for sound. I thought, well, I already recorded. Yeah, he was drinking water. The cat got over there, and I just looked over and saw him burying his teeth and growling at the cat, and I thought, oh, boy, this could go bad. But anyway, luckily it got stopped in action. So, yeah, there's something to do with these other noises and stuff that can't really deal with. Um. I'm going to do a quick show today just because otherwise this data will escape me like the last show. Um, I hope you found the shows interesting also that I uploaded for part two of the Appalachian story. It's quite a, well, this whole thing is sad. Um, this whole thing is sad. But, you know, imagine being them. Um, they're there. Um, very misunderstood, evidently. Um I share in that part in misunderstanding them and um, looking around, seeing what they think everybody else has and what they don't have and the defeat. And it, it just it just is the circle that these psychopaths have created. It's building up false hopes and then crushing those dreams. So anyway, so um, I think also that the census numbers in Appalachia have to be wrong, okay, because um, likely there's many more black people in Appalachia than they're admitting. Andy's doing something now with the Africa thing, so um, I thought I would just catch you up with um, 
there's these great awakenings that were going on during the 60s and 70s time that ties into all of this. And also, so, um, yeah, um, the, um, in looking at pictures, like, for example, of the Cherokees, um, there aren't any, really. Um, the pictures, I found a picture that I posted over on YouTube when I posted the show. Um, these people, you know, even in the pictures, they're short, black hair, and are very mutant-like, okay? Um, I, well, let's put this out on the table, okay? A lot of things have been done to a lot of people against their will. So I don't think that we ever want to move into any kind of judgment mode here. Um, I think that all of this has contributed to a whole lot of horror for people. I mean, imagine finding out that you were flipped as a kid and the ensuing, you know, issues with your own mind and stuff. And then you go into the hands of these vultures to try to help you. And, geez, it's such a cycle of abuse that it's really hard to um, get your head around. And, you know, it could be something as simple as this. They're all lining up in Africa right now, right? Bases, end to end in Africa. Are they there for the natural resources? Did they plunder this country first? Because remember, they're cheap Jews, okay? So did they plunder this country first and they're getting lined up to go into Africa? But are they into Africa for some other reason? That's what Andy's looking into now. Or is it the resources? Or all those military bases set up to guard those resources? I mean, I'm not going to go into it right now, but Africa is loaded with resources. So we have to ask ourselves, transport in Africa isn't like it is in other parts of the world. They don't have as many docks. They don't have the stream structure. Um, found out an interesting thing. Likely women carry those things on their heads because of the lack of transport for things. So possibly these Jews figured out that it was easier to exploit this country under everybody's noses and the plan is to move on to Africa. Now, I'm not going to get into any predictive planning, but there's a reason why there's all those bases there, okay? Likely to support the eugenics part of this horror show. And who knows, maybe to, maybe to control those natural resources. Remember, natural resources are like finding free money for these freaks, okay? Something they can go in, rob, and exploit. That is who they are, okay? So let's take a look of kindness towards each other because a lot of people had things done to them that, you know, and, you know, if, you're, if you want to know the truth, you have to look at it in all areas, okay? We can't start picking and choosing. I have a couple of people in my family that likely, well, not in my direct family, but were married into. And because they're still alive, I'm not going to talk about it, but... You can't just take the truth in one regard and look at it like, well, that truth over there, I don't agree with it, but let, let me move back over here. You have to look at it all. You can't take down that wall and think, well, I just want to put up these couple of bricks. So let's look at this awakening thing, okay? Because in looking at all of this, something starts to rise up again. Oh, jeez. Something, a good old cat fight broke out. <sighs> Hopefully they won't charge through this room next. But anyway, so when I ran across, which got me back on this religious thing, we're not done with this 
evangelical thing yet, okay? In this country, they had all these awakenings, okay? They had, I think, four of them. They called them Great Awakenings. And I thought, well, what is that about? Because that has to do with how we have been programmed into accepting this and how it all took place. So let's look at these awakenings today because it got really interesting. The idea of an awakening implies a slumber or passivity during secular or less religious times. Awakening is a term which originates from and is embraced often and primarily by evangelical Christians. In recent times, the idea of awakenings in United States history has been put forth by conservative American evangelists. So we got these awakenings. Now I'm going to focus on obviously the awakenings that have the most merit to us right now, which would be around the 60 time frame, 1960s, 1970s time frame, when this stuff was starting to explode. Because what I found interesting was the fourth great awakening is a debated concept that has not received the acceptance of the first three. And I'll get to the first three in a minute here. Advocates such as economist Robert Fogel say it happened in the late 1960s and early 70s. The Jesus Movement, they had an actual movement called the Jesus Movement, is one evidence of this awakening, and it created a shift in church music styles. Lots through this music, right? The Jesus Movement was an evangelical Christian movement beginning on the west coast of the United States in the late 60s and 70s, spreading primarily throughout North America, Europe, and Central America, before subsiding by the late 80s. The late 80s would have been, well, the Jesus movement would have been around the hippie movement about the same time. Members of the movement were called Jesus people or Jesus freaks. And I'm going to ratchet back and forth here because this file only has a few pages. The file I had the other day had like close to 30. So. Um, okay, I'm going to stick with this Jesus thing for a moment. And then I'll get back to the um, great movements. Because the Jesus thing was part of the fourth movement, okay? Okay. Um, so, the Jesus movement. Um, it's pre pre decessor was called the charismatic movement that had already been in full swing for about a decade so the charismatic movement would have been what 50s 60s and then we move into the jesus movement it involved mainly protestants and roman catholics who testified to having supernatural experiences similar to those recorded in the acts of the apostles especially speaking in tons. Aren't the apostles the um, Mormons? Both of these move movements held what they were calling what they were calling the church back to a more biblical picture of Christianity. So they wanted these movements to bring the churches back to a more biblical picture of Christianity in which the gifts of the spirit would be restored to the church. The Jesus movement left a legacy <clears throat> that included the formation of various denominations, 
as well as other Christian organizations. And it also influenced the development of both contemporary Christian right and Christian left. Everything is dual, right? The term Jesus moment and Jesus movement, excuse me, too many J's in here, and Jesus people were coined by Dwayne Peterson in his writings for the Hollywood Free Paper. (laughs) In an interview with some other person in 2006, Peterson said that he did not coin the word Jesus people, but gave credit to a magazine television interviewer who asked him if he was part of the Jesus people and therefore credited Dwayne as the phrase founder. Well, big deal, right? So in the 70s, we had these Jesus people, right? Secular and Christian media exposure in 1971 and 1972 caused the Jesus movement to explode in the United States, attracting evangelical youth eager to identify with the movement. So then they came up with the Shiloh communities and the children of God attracted many new believers. Expo 72, so that would be obviously 1972, was an event organized by Campus Crusade for Christ held at the Cotton Bowl Stadium in Dallas. It involved much more conservative leaders, Bill Bright, never heard of him, and Billy Graham. Billy Graham talked about him in the past. Many of the 80,000 young Jesus people attended Expo 72 and discovered for the first time these and other traditional avenues of Christian worship and experience. They really kicked into gear around the 60s and 70s, didn't they? Although Expo 72 marked the high-water mark of media interest, media interest, okay, 1972, the Jesus movement continued as a grassroots level with smaller individual groups and communities. The movement began to subside, largely concluding by the late 1980s, but left a major influence in Christian music, youth, and church life. Okay, um, although it lasted for more than a, only a decade, its influence on Christian culture can still be seen. Thousands of converts moved into leadership positions in churches and parachurch organizations. Who are these converts? These converts would be likely, I'm just guessing here, people in my age group. I was in that same age group. So if they were converting people in the 60s or 70s, yeah, I would have been out of high school then, probably trying to get me converted. (laughs) Clearly didn't work, but okay. So these people which would be the baby boomers, right? Would be these thousands of converts. So so these people then moved into those leadership positions. Yeah, okay. The informality of the Jesus movement's music and worship affected almost all evangelical churches. Some of the fastest growing U.S. denominations of the late 20th century, such as Calvary Chapel, Hope Chapel churches and vineyard churches trace their roots directly back to the Jesus movement, as do parachurch organizations like Jews for Jesus and the contemporary Christian music industry. (laughs) So we now know that Jews for Jesus started in the 70s. Good to know. Perhaps the most significant and lasting influence, however, was the growth of an anti-emerging strand within 
evangelical Christians that appealed to the contemporary youth culture. Jesus music, which grew out of the movement, was very influential in the creation of various subgenres of contemporary Christian music during the... I'll play some Jesus music. I'll find some at the end here. (laughs) Give me a minute. Once I get through this, I'll pick out a good Jesus tune for you. Okay, Christian music in the late 20th century, such as Jesus Culture and Hillsong. I've heard all these. Hillsong in both America and the U.K., This also led to the inclusion of new new musical instruments in churches all over the world, such as guitars and drums. In addition to traditional traditional musical instruments, such as pianos and organs, music in other parts of the world was also greatly influenced by the Jesus movement, such as music in Central America and the UK. In Central America, Pentecostal churches under the charismatic movement began to compose spiritual movement called coronos. They were fast-paced hymns, which is normally accompanied by dancing as worship. Okay, the Jesus movement was restoration in theology, seeking to return to the life of early Christians. As a result, Jesus, no, they wrote this. I'm not calling them like slanderous terms or anything. (laughs) As a result, Jesus people often view churches, especially those in the United States, as apostate and took a decidedly countercultural political stance in general. The theology of the Jesus movement also called for a return to simple living and asceticism, I don't know what that means, in some cases, that would probably be like the people the people that live simple lives, ride around wagons and forget their name. The Jesus people had a strong belief in miracles. The Jesus people are starting to sound more like these freak Jews, right? All their stuff about the miracles and the numbers and signs. So the Jesus people had a strong belief in miracles, signs and wonders, faith, healing, prayer, the Bible, and the powerful works of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I believe that our Creator has powerful spirits, but I'm just a little confused what to call him right now, so I'll just stick with Creator. For example, a revival at Ashbury College in 1970 grabbed the attention of the mainstream news media and became nationwide. So I don't know why that one did, but the movement tended strong toward evangelism and millennialism. What that means. So the most read books during that period, in case you're interested in hopping to and reading some good Christian books. Hal Lindsey wrote a book, The Last Great Planet Earth. (laughs) Rich Christians in the Age of Hunger. I wonder what they said about that. Build safes to hoard your money. Build walls and fences around your property. Don't pay attention while they starve. Perhaps the most illustrative aspect of the Jesus movement was its communal aspect. Yeah, a lot of people lived in communes back in that Jesus deal. Well, these people are all just crypto-Jews, right? So anyway, so let me get moving along here. Um, So they continued to play the same style of music, yeah, because they're lazy gypsy Jews, right, that they had played previously. (laughs) That's why it's easy to track them with their music, right? And that's why they figured out if they do a movie part two, they get 50% of the income. It's like, hey, 
who cares about creative, right? As long as you get 50% of that money. <laughs> Many music groups developed out of this. So some leaders, the music group, I don't know. I don't know any of these people's names. Oh, Peter, Paul, and Mary. I heard about them. They were around in the 60s and 70s. I didn't know that was Jesus music. Um, so, yeah, um, the Joyful Noise Band traveled with a Christian community throughout the U.S. and Europe, performing in festivals held underneath giant tents. In the U.K., Malcolm and Alrin were the most notable agents of the gospel beat, According to the Jesus people, old-time religion in the New Age of Aquarius, yeah, they always talk about the New Age of Aquarius when I was younger. So anyway, so um, I think I've had it with these people. Um, I don't know why I had this guy. Belmont Avenue Church of Christ, Don Fento, became involved with the Belmont Avenue Church of Christ in Alien Church in Nashville, yeah, the Spooks, the CIA, Nashville, that's their beat, right? <laughs> if you want to get recorded into Satanism, go hang around Nashville and act like you're a, a budding um, uh, record writer, or excuse me, songwriter. And you, you'll probably find some CIA agents that will be more than happy to help you along your path towards Satan. Um, so the membership dropped about 75 people yeah that thing wasn't a real winner see they they run out of steam pretty quickly because they're not that smart right that's what it all boils down to you start with a bad plan it usually ends up with kind of lousy results but i have to admit they had ground away at so many people's brains that no matter how lousy their little tricks and things are here it becomes okay so then i found this um this wasn't anything to do with these other people but it was the Kingdom Come Christian Coffee House in Greenville, Arizona. Uh, excuse me, Greenville, South Carolina. 1971, the Jesus people gathered. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But they were all in that whole area because uh, every campus throughout Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Georgia all had these fellowships. And that is our um, Appalachia region, right? So they were obviously focused in that area. So, let me see. Let's get to these Great Awakenings. Um, so, um, the Great Awakenings refers to the number of periods of religious revivals in American Christian history. See, I think on one level, they introduced this heavily Christian thing to people. Um, let me see how I word this. And I'll get to this in this Great Awakening thing. But, and I am only just kind of surmising at this point. I believe up until a certain point, certain levels of religion, or whatever you want to call it, were for the elite, okay? And then, and I'm just kind of guessing here out loud, okay? Then I think around this time period, when they started these awakening things, they were starting to dole out religious theories to the masses and probably through that they learned that they could use this as a tool for financial gain remember what are churches they're nonprofits they're cash machines 
they're like those casinos, right? So naturally, on one level, they'd want to do churches not only to poison our brains, <laughs> but to enrich themselves, right? You know, people pay, you know, we're paying for our own torture if you stop and think about it, right? You contribute to a church, and you know, they also move like vultures through communities because if a church brings in a nonprofit, that community doesn't get that tax base, right? So here again, it always rolls downhill to the poorest and the most vulnerable. That's how their marketing scheme works in every single thing, okay? So so that's how I think it happened. So let me go through the logistics of what they're saying how it happened, okay? Historians and theologians identify three or sometimes four waves of increased religious enthusiasm between the early 18th century and the late 20th century. Each of these great awakenings was characterized by widespread revivals led by evangelical Protestant ministers, a sharp increase of interest in religion, a profound sense of conviction, and redemption on the part of those affected an increase in evangelical church membership, and the formation of new religious movements and denominations. That was why the Great Awakenings was happening, right? The Awakenings all resulted from powerful preaching that gave listeners a sense of personal guilt, their sin, and the need of salvation by Christ. Some of the influential people during the Great Awakening was George Whitfield, I'll give you these names if you want to look them up, Jonathan Edwards, and Gilbert Tennant. And some of the influential let's see here. Groups during the Great Awakening were the New Lights and the Old Lights. <laughs> Pulling away from ritual and ceremony. The Great Awakening made religious intensely personal in the average person by fostering a deep sense of spiritual conviction of personal sin and need for redemption and by encouraging introspection and a commitment to a new standard of personal morality. It incited rancor and division, divisionism between old traditionalists who insisted on the continuing importance of ritual and doctrine, and the new revivalists who encouraged emotional involvement and personal commitment. In the early days, I think they just rode around and preached at people, right? So now they're getting the people poops all riled up. It had a major impact on reshaping the congregation, I can't say these words, Congregational Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Dutch Reformed Church, and the German Reformed denomination, and strengthened the small Baptist and Methodist denominations. Methodist, when I did the show about um, the pastors and how they sent the pastors all around this country, um, Andy had looked it up because I had gotten my brain dead and um, the Methodist guy, I forget his name, Wesley or something like that, that started the Methodist movement in this country, he was trained by the Jesuits. <laughs> so, just takes a little digging sometimes, right? 
So let me get back here. So we get the Baptists and the Methodists had the strengthening, okay? It had little impact on Anglicans and Quakers. Unlike the Second Great Awakening, which began around 1800 and reached out to the unchurched, that's what they called them back then. Just now they're calling the homeless people unhoused. <laughs> the First Great Awakening focused on people who were already church members. It changed their rituals, their piety, and their self-awareness. That was the first Great Awakening, right? So they just, an easy sell job is go out and get the people who are already converted, right? The First Great Awakening began in the 1730s and lasted until about 1740. They only they, they burned out pretty quickly in all these deals. Pockets of rebellion. This guy Solomon Soddard, Jonathan Edwards' grandfather. I don't know who these people are. Um, I'll get more focused when we get closer to times that we can actually see. Okay, this great American religious historian. They're all great, aren't they? Noted the Great Awakening was still to come, ushered in by the Great Iterant. I don't know what they are talking about at all, but yeah, everything is going to be an awakening, right? Just like New World Order, awakening. In 19, or excuse me, in 1740, he visited New England, and at every place he visited, the consequences were large and tumultuous. Ministers from varying evangelical Protestant demonic supported the Great Awakening. Yeah, everybody got on board in the 1740s. <laughs> Boy, did they ever. So, I don't know. Um, this one guy argues the first Great Awakening marks the birth of the American rhetoric of the revival, understood as a particular mode of preaching in which the speaker employs, and it has a really wide array of patterns and communicate oh geez let me break this sentence apart here <laughs> these people don't understand paragraph breaks or um, sentence structure they do understand it but the reason they write this way is because um, you feel like you're reading a lot of really smart things but then you realize that your brain has fogged over because we're, we're cued in to look for paragraph base so what they have done in a lot of these technical things that they do they just flipped the script on us, right? Remember, they're the ones who told us we needed language in the first place. So, yeah, they now use language as a tool against us by writing up these scientific things and stuff in such a convoluted way that they forget. Um, because it makes them look smart. They get, I, I don't know, it's crazy. But anyway, so, um, so uh, I don't know. It talks about their more, um, the revivals. Okay, in the later part of the 1700s, the revival came to the English colonies of Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and Prince Edward Island. Through this guy, Henry Aline and his New Light Movement. All these New Light, one had a New Light Woman, and there was an Old Light Movement. The Second Great Awakening, sometimes referred to as the Great Awakening, was a religious revival that occurred in the United States beginning in the late 18th century and lasting until the middle of the 19th century. So we're starting to get some pay dirt here, okay? While it occurred in all parts of the United States, it was especially strong in the Northeast and the Midwest, also known as the Bible Belt, right? 
This awakening was unique in that it moved beyond the educated elite of New England to those who were less wealthy and less educated. The center of revivalism, there's this thing they call the burned out districts. I don't know. Burned out districts were what they write these crazy stories. They just said that some guy went around and his revivals were so great they set the place on fire. But it's just, it's not even funny. It's just crazy. But okay. I was hoping for a good funny backstory in this, but I really haven't found one yet. So okay. Okay. Here we bring in the black people. Among these dozens of new denominations were free black churches run independently of existing congregations that were predominantly of white attendance. During the period between the American Revolution of the 1850s, black involvement in largely white churches declined in great numbers, with participation becoming almost non-existent in the 1840s and 1850s. Some scholars argue that this was largely due to racial discrimination within the church. Well, yeah, I probably would. <laughs> I probably would go with uh, they kick the black people out. You know, if any of this is even true, right? Remember, they had to start cooking up this black and white hate between everybody, right? So this is probably how they got it going under the guise of religion, right? I never understood that, but anyway, now I know why I didn't understand it. Okay. A decline in great numbers. This discrimination came in the form of segregated seating and the forbiddance of African Americans from voting in church manners or holding leadership positions in mainly white churches. This Raymond Allen guy, he was a central founder of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Got those Methodists in there, right? also known as crypto-Jews, was quoted describing one such incident of racial discrimination in a predominantly white church in Philadelphia in which a fellow preacher and a former, former slave from Delaware was forcefully told to leave and grab by a white church trustee in the middle of a prayer. Okay, well... These people all come from Africa, so th this thing is just so... Uh, well, let me, let me do this, okay? This stuff is all worked, okay? People don't like other races. This old divide and conquer. Divide the races. Divide the religions. Cook up new languages for everybody. Get everybody to hate each other. And where are you, gang? We're right here right now. So, in addition to these causes, reforms, oh, the women's right movement, yeah, that this Women's right movement. Get women in the work field. Collect the taxes from her wages, right? Um, get the women away from the children. That was what the women's rights movement was about. To get them away from those children. Break up those families. So, yeah, um, the women's right movement grew from female abolished... I can't... <laughs> people who abolish everything. Abolish just... Who realized that they too could fight for their own political rights? <laughs> yeah, how'd that go, women? How'd that go? Um, now the women are all in charge, but they're having to wear—they're uh, <laughs> having to dress like men. <laughs> you know, I was raised, and we were told 
that women just didn't make it to the top. You know, this glass ceiling thing. Little did I know, women really were already at the top. They were just all dressed like men. So, um, in addition to these causes, reforms touch nearly every aspect of daily life, such as restricting the use of tobacco and dietary and dress reforms. Yeah, isn't that funny? They, I don't think any of us cooked up tobacco and sugar and stuff. <laughs> they they bring in the they bring in the cause hey they bring in the cause of our distress and then they bring in the cure right and something's getting started back here let me see okay knock it off we lost a member of our house a couple of weeks ago so things have been a little bit crazier than usual um, the cat wants to join with the other dog because we lost the other one and um, they're they're just getting weird she's trying to get close to him but he's angry and oh what a mess around here. So, so um, yeah, um, the third great awakening, this is the one we need to focus on here, um, 1850s to 1900s, good target range area, lasted for about 50 years, was characterized by new denominations, <laughs> get more of those churches going, right? <laughs> All you have to do is... Where, where you look at things that are like non-profits and stuff, and there you got your target goals, right? Okay, let me get back to being serious here. 1850s, and I'm just glad this little fight between the dog and the cat didn't get worse because I don't like to do more than one take because then I'd have to remember everything I said, and that's kind of impossible. So, um, anyway, so yeah. It was characterized by new denominations, active missionary work, in other words, to get the money, right? Chattanooga was and the social gospel approach to social issues. The YMCA, founded in 1844, played a major role in fostering revivals in the cities in the 1858 awakening and after. That's why the YMCA came in there. It means Young Men's Christian Organization. They have places all over the place here, so-called like gyms and stuff that you can go and exercise I guess, anyways, um, another nonprofit center, right? Um, all these youth ministries, another big tax and nonprofit thing. Always worried about the kids, right? Always worried about the kids. I bet you if they couldn't make money off those kids, they'd probably have at least less of an interest. So, YMCA, that's pretty interesting that it came in right there. So anyway, so the revival of 1858 produced a leadership such as this Dwight Moody guy, woman, <laughs> out of which came religious work carried, oh, this they brought the religious work into the services. The Christian and sanitary commissions and numerous freedmen societies were also formed in the midst of the war. That was the fake war, the civil war, right, between civil... It was civil. We should have gotten that as our first clue. Civil war between gentlemen. At that point of the Civil War, they literally probably were in some fight over money, over that Dixie money and stuff. That's why it was called a civil war. Somebody decided to beat somebody else up over the money, and somebody won. So, Okay, now let me get back to the final part. Is this fourth one. The Fourth Great Awakening is a debated concept has not received the acceptance of the first ones, okay? But I think that the fourth one from the 60s and the 70s 
is the one that we need to focus on here because that had to have been a pretty key moment in the brainwashing efforts of all of us, spreading the Christian word, spreading the gospel. And I would like to make a um, statement in that I don't know what's coming up next. I would be reckless to try to start guessing. I'm only trying to work to figure out who these people are, and we will we'll notice some patterns, right? You know, for a long time, I thought probably the Bible was true. It could still be true. I don't know. But it has been in the hands of these people for so long, and this has all come through research, not my own personal feelings one way or the other about the Bible. So don't be upset thinking that you should be sad that I'm not reading the Bible because I never understood the Bible or read the Bible in the first place. So we're just sharing and exploring research about how and why we got here because if we don't identify what's gone on so far, I think we're going to have other lives in the future. I'd kind of like to not stumble along the same path again. So, and it's a better way to occupy my time than sitting here concerned over things that I don't know about. So, you know, as of a month or so ago, you know, the whole Jesus thing in my mind kind of flew out the window. That doesn't mean it had to fly out the window for you. I'm just saying that based on research, that is where it appears to be right now for me. So, you know, I used to believe that they talked about the end times. I don't know if we're in the end times, but I do know that something, something very, very serious is up, okay? This thing is not sustainable, and something has been plotted to happen in this country. So I don't know any more than that, except for the only way I can deal with it is just to keep looking and keep digging for the truth. So right now, you'll hopefully hear some really snappy, uh, I'll pick out some gospel song from the 60s or 70s for your enjoyment. Be safe out there. Goodbye for now. Two thousand seventeen marked the fiftieth anniversary of San Francisco's Hate Ashbury Summer of Love Hippie Movement, a time for young people to celebrate personal expression, drug experimentation, and easy sexuality. But something else occurred described as hippie style conservative evangelical Christianity, named the Jesus Freaks or Jesus People. I'll look later at this movement, but first a little background on how things all unfolded. The 1960s counterculture included a spiritual dimension that attracted a lot of hippie interest. Besides Christianity, there also was meditation, Eastern religions such as Buddhism, Krishna, and Native American spirituality. But as the summer of love grew in numbers, a number of problems surfaced such as overcrowding, crime, sexually transmitted diseases, bad drug trips, and severe poverty. As many hippies became disillusioned, an opening was created for hippie Jesus Freak evangelists, urging people to follow Jesus Christ and forsake drugs and promiscuous sex. One of those key in growing the Jesus People movement was Ted Wise. He was a sailmaker who in 1965 was saved after one of his reoccurring LSD trips. Wise and his wife Elizabeth and several other hippie couples began to attend a local Baptist church in San Francisco. The look and non-conforming ways of these new believers antagonized many members of the church, keeping their long hair, eccentric fashion, and showing a dissatisfaction with middle-class Christianity, the group persevered. 
The church's pastor, John McDonald, saw all the problems in the area from homelessness, hunger, to sickness. He decided to do something more to help the hate ashbury masses. Along with the help of other Bay Area pastors, McDonald assisted Wise to establish a coffee house called The Living Room. Over the next year and a half, many hippie characters and thousands of runaway young people received ministering, soup and coffee, and donuts. At the same time, others in the Bay Area, like Kent Philpot, a Baptist seminary student, began to preach Christianity on the streets. By late 1968, they had opened a shelter named the Soul Inn. Christian communes opened up as well, a string of them in San Rafael, Walnut Creek, and other Bay Area communities. While the Jesus People movement was growing all across the country, like in Seattle, Detroit, and Fort Lauderdale, undoubtedly the hotbed of the movement located the south of Los Angeles. There, they attracted not only hardcore hippies from the drug culture, but masses of teenagers and youth groups at many of the area's churches. From the late 60s to the mid-70s, hundreds of independent communal homes, coffee houses, and Christian fellowships opened nationwide. Many remember prominent coffee houses like The Upper Room and The Belly of the Whale. Underground Jesus Papers were very popular in Los Angeles and Chicago. Most noteworthy, the Hollywood Free Paper and the Cornerstone stood out. In California, Jesus people had countless ocean baptisms, with thousands of enthusiastic teenagers being plunged beneath the waves. Young people were attracted to the movement through the use of folk, pop, and rock music. Whether using simple choruses in small groups, listening to guitar-strumming artists in coffee houses, or sponsoring full-blown Christian rock concerts and music festivals, music was a central part of Jesus people life. The Dallas-based Campus Crusade for Christ June 1972 hosted a day-long festival that attracted 150,000 people. By the late 1970s, the Jesus movement began to lose its popularity. The hippie style grew less popular among teens. New styles of music and fashion became embraced. The Jesus people themselves grew older and moved on. But their impact lived on and changed churches' worship styles and evangelical Christians' attitudes towards popular culture. The two largest Christian groups to emerge in the late 20th century America were Calvary Chapel's Fellowship of Churches and the Vineyard Denomination, both tracing their roots to the Jesus People movement. Chuck Smith founded the Calvary Chapel, while the Vineyard Church was an offshoot church co-founded by John Wimmer. Wimmer was also known for having played keyboard and singing vocals for a popular group, the Righteous Brothers, in 1962 to 1963. The Jesus People movement was a massive spiritual awakening. Its beneficiaries were mostly scorn-searching young people that came out of drugs and sex. The movement resulted in millions of people turning their lives over to Christ, members seeking out more understanding of the Holy Spirit, church planning all across the U.S. and the world, and giving contemporary Christian music its start. This is H.A. Graves.